Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, and with me uh, several thousand miles to the left is Tom and Nate. How are you guys doing? I'm okay. Uh, Tom, how are you doing? I fucking hate CrossFitters. Fucking cross... Like, they are the bane of my existence. I was talking to Joey. I said... I'm sorry to open this with a rant. This has been boiling for two days now. <laughs> like, t- two different gyms, opposite sides of the city, went to the gym in the afternoon yesterday, because I have a weird job, I can go to the gym in the middle of the day. Got my bench out of the way, hit a bench PR, woohoo. Had other stuff to do. And then this like crew of maybe like four or five CrossFitters came in, took every single barbell and took up the entire floor of the free weight section doing like shit, doing like circuits. And I was like, you people are such fucking dickheads. Like there is literally a CrossFit gym in this sports center, but they refuse to pay for the CrossFit gym. So instead they use like the actual gym floor and like they had over like two thirds of the dumbbells. They had all the bars, and I was like, I am so lucky that I did my bench beforehand, because I'd be so fucking pissed if I came in. And there's people, like, coming up and asking them, was like, oh, can I use this? Can you use that? And they're like, no, 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 we're using this for the next half an hour, we're using this for the next half an hour. I was like, you shower. That also fucking- feels like the gym being fucking idiots, too. Yeah, they shouldn't, shouldn't allow that. Like, they're basically getting their, getting ripped off by these assholes, and also, it's going to make people not want to go to that gym. Yeah, see, yeah. I think, the, I, I think the problem is, is, like, the dude who was, like, running the group works in the gym as well. Oh, I was just Jesus. about to say, I've, uh, there was, okay, I should say, I have nothing against, like, the concept of CrossFit, like, do whatever you want to do that is fun, <laughs> uh, that keeps you in shape and healthy or whatever, but also, you should... You should go to the places that these things are meant for. It's like, you know, you're not going to try to max out your fucking deadlift at like 400 or 500 pounds or whatever in like a gold's gym generally. Or like, you know, if you box or do MMA, you're not going to waltz into Planet Fitness and like set up in the free weight section. Like you're going to set off the long alarm going. I would say that I actually hate CrossFit for two reasons. I don't necessarily hate CrossFitters as people, but people who are into it annoy me. The cultures of the gym is pretty toxic. Um, Yeah. And I would also say with CrossFit for me, the problem has always been number two, two things rather. Number one, it's like a wiki how for with bad cartoon illustrations called give yourself repetitive stress injury. (laughs) And that's, that's point one. And point two is, and I'm sure you can identify with this to some degree, Joe, having been in the army, the last fucking thing on earth I want as regards my own fitness is someone yelling at me. Even if it's like, hey, let's do it. Like, fuck that. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's my not, workouts it's certainly have got to be self-directed. It's not Eleven, for me. 11 years of that. And then also high school sports before, especially in swimming with a coach who screamed at us a lot. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Like, fuck off. It's not for me. Same, same with like the tough mutters or whatever. Like, it appeals to a certain subsect of people. You know what? Go nuts in your own space. I'm not going to walk into a CrossFit gym and start like shooting double eggs on people. Like, d- don't, <laughs> like, you, you know, like, 
it, do do whatever makes you happy, but do it in the correct area because you're just fucking over everyone else. But then, as if it wasn't bad enough yesterday, I went to the gym by the studio and I was like, okay, going to get a workout in before we record. More CrossFitters. Literally, I was there trying to do like strict overhead press and they were doing like sled pushes like two inches behind me. And I was like, I was like going for like a real heavy day. And I was like, if I have to bail out of this, I am fucked if they are behind me because like no, I, ha- I have two inches of space. You. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, look, do whatever exercise suits you. But it just seems to be the most ubiquitous problem any gym is people hate people who do CrossFit because it's like they come in, they have like five different things on the go at once and they're taking like five minutes to complete a circuit, then they're sitting down. I'm like, if you're doing like a bench, then you're like just chilling out, whatever, you in between your sets. But like CrossFit just like takes up so much space. And if you say it to anyone, then there's like five people who are going to be on your ass. So they're like, oh, we, we're just as entitled to use the stuff as you. It's like, fuck off. No, you're not. You're taking up like 200 times the amount of space as any single person in here. Yeah. So weirdly, um, if it's if it's a proto pseudo dad chat before we talk about a, a fun fucked up historical figure, I'm actually I'm not going to talk about the weather, but rather I do have a funny thing where the source of my problems in, in aggregate is the Brits. And I think Tom can appreciate this. <laughs> I'm sure that's well, I'm sure that's the- news to uh, to everyone listening. <laughs> well, no, it's just funny because I mean, look, there's it, it, I don't want to do an overly simplified sort of explanation here because there's a lot of dumb things. But basically, so my wife's pregnant and she's far enough along that flying is not a good idea right now, and some airlines won't carry you. Independently, won't fly you depending on how far along you are. So we she had to go down to work uh, to Geneva for work, and we opted to take the train, which is fine. It's great, except Eurostar and Britain. Oh God, and so. Ireland and Britain did not join the Schengen zone. Uh, Ireland is still in the EU. Britain is not. But a lot of people blame Brexit for this. But basically, even when Brexit had not yet taken place, when it had not yet gone into effect, you have to go through basically airport security and border a bunch of border checks to get on the Eurostar train uh, to take the channel tunnel to get to London from continental Europe. So basically, it's just very funny to me because... Right, I understand how shit works, but it's also so incredibly stupid because the whole point of taking the train is you just walk up to the fucking train and get on it. And it's nice. It's like whatever. Whereas Tom, you've taken Eurostar. Joe, have you taken no, Eurostar? I, ha- I no? have not. No. All right, guys, let me just tell you about Eurostar. It is basically airport security, except imagine if airport security fed you into the smallest fucking airport terminal you've ever been in in your life. There's no seating room. There's nothing. It sucks. The trains are always late. It's always crowded. In Paris, you're standing the whole time. In London, you're basically standing the whole time because there's almost no seating. Um, the train is balls expensive. It's like more expensive than a Swiss train for uh, a trip, you know, basically a two hour train ride from London to Paris or like less than two hours from London to Brussels. And so it's like, there's a lot of things at play here, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to rehash it. I certainly don't get into like a fucking dumb Brexit argument because like, whatever the Brits did it to themselves. They always will. Uh, and then they'll be like, no, actually someone else did this to us. And we were the victims here when it's like, you know, there's like a fucking court affidavit with a notary stamp that says this person shot themselves in the dick. Um, so but I just found it very, very funny because like when we were coming back, we got on the train in Geneva and like they can and will, and sometimes will do border checks there. Like before you get on the train to France to make sure everyone has their passports, et cetera. But weirdly the train at midday, they just never seem to. And so you get on the train, it's super easy. You go to Paris then you got to use a commuter train, like, uh, the, uh, like commuter subway system thing, the RER to get to the other train stations. So you have train stations. And then you, it's like every step as you get closer and closer to Britain gets more and more annoying. And there's just a part of me that's just like, 
I mean, it's a perfect it's a perfect deterrent from coming to this horrible country. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it's a warning. Too, it's like, is it, I feel like I feel like I never really understood why Britain had such a bad reputation among continental Europeans. I mean, the war, okay, got it, the wars, et cetera. But like in terms of just culturally post-war, like at this point, my parents are mid-range boomers in terms of how old they are, and they are about to both turn 70. So like for better or worse, the war is a long time ago. And yet everything post-war, they have such a fucking terrible in everything. And it's like, I don't know. I, Tom, I'd love your, your perspective. Joe, you've encountered them. I'd love your perspective. Maybe we'll do this in another episode. But there's just something about it. It's just like, it's a very funny to me that like, the thing that people are like, oh, isn't this this great sign of European integration before Brexit and everything? It's like, yes, but to get to Britain, it's going to be fucking annoying. And there's something about that that's so perfect. You know, I, I don't really have much of an experience. I don't really want to get into it um, because I was only in the UK for like a week. But I, I did have a very interesting time flying from Armenia to the UK because there are no like direct flight paths. You have to take a series of, of singular tickets and then run to catch the next one. Um, all of them through Wizz Air, which... Thankfully, uh, they were all staggered late by an hour because that's what you could expect from Wizz Air, so I didn't miss any of my flights. But I can say, as far as customs is, getting uh, into the UK was incredibly easy. Like There wasn't even anybody there to check my passport or anything. I, I just thing. had to scan it. That's the thing, right? Is that like for all of us, like, oh, we couldn't join Schengen. We're, a fucking, we're an island. We need more border checks. Blah, blah. Like, yeah, but y'all don't even fucking do them. Like, you just don't fucking do shit. But this is what's so funny is, like, I know me and Joe talked about, like, me bringing 800 cigarettes into the UK is, like, like, traveling between... It's because Tom is culturally Balkan. Like, traveling from Ireland to the UK is, like, so easy, but it's also really funny traveling back from continental Europe into the UK because it's, like, like, you did just see your passport, it's like, okay, go ahead. But, like, I couldn't imagine like you joe playing like a game of where in the world is joe kasabian like trying to get like four different connecting flights to get to the uk like uh, to their credit like i will give britain credit where credit's due like the public transport is incredible it works like and like it's so funny when like people get so incredulous that like the tube is late by like four minutes whereas like Half time the buses just don't show. Yeah, up I mean, in I will Ireland. say, it, it, I feel like that's a specifically London thing because obviously having I've taken buses oh, yeah. outside London and they're they're pretty bad. But I mean, compared uh, to New I York, I also had an uh, outside London bus experience that you was sure pretty did. bad. You sure, and it wound up with me finding a like a cab service in fucking Oxfordshire to just come pick yeah, them up because yeah. like, there was no nothing available. Back in my day, we had to walk down pit. <laughs> I, I we walk seventeen hours. Work it's so funny because we're, we're going to be talking about basically this the, the the rapper's son of a Liberian war criminal. But like all conversations have to go to gym dudes and the Brits because that's just who we are. <laughs> that's yeah. just who we are. I, like that's that's the station we're at in our lives right now. Yeah, and and, and these, I would complain are, are, about where I live, but that's not acceptable because neither of you are Armenian. I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, 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 not you're, until I get the surgery. Yeah. Um, what the Sonic the Hedgehog surgery? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> God damn it! I, Armenian I, affirming I care. Forgot about that. Um, <laughs> now, fellas, I've gathered you here today because we're going to talk about a kind of guy um, that I was not previously uh, aware of his existence, and that is the American-born African war criminal. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Before we get to that point, we've talked about the Liberian Civil War before, a long time ago. It was our first year of a show in an era that I would generally like to call 
bad. Um, and it will probably need to be redone at some point. Uh, but we do need to do kind of like a long story short here. What is generally known as the Liberian Civil War was actually two different civil wars with a short break in the middle, like a halftime. After the first civil war lasting from 1989 to 1997, a man named Charles Taylor came to power when his victorious National Patriotic Liberation Front of Liberia seized power. The story... I love a revolutionary movement that has, once again, its name is just a sentence. The, the more things you tack on to it, the less true it is. That, <laughs> that, is, that is generally how that works. The story is much weirder and longer than that, and one day we will definitely talk about it in a series. However, long story short, Samuel Doe loses power via being executed on camera while people around him drink Budweiser. Around 10% of the entire population of Liberia dies, leading to a peace deal between various factions years later, and then in 1997, there was elections. Now, the elections came down to Charles Taylor and a woman named Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. Liberia being, a count, uh, Liberia being a country founded by freed American slaves has an election system that basically functions the exact same as the American system. For example, there is even a political party running called the True Whigs. Like, this is a, Ameri- yeah, it, a weird, weird Americana down to the bones. It's very strange that you have, um, like, the capital of Liberia is Monrovia, named after James Monroe. Yep. The president who more or less offer, authorized the, the, the Back to Africa movement at, in the early 19th century. The flag is an there's, American flag, but with a single star. <laughs> there's another town. One of, it's not, I don't know if it's one of the bigger towns in Liberia, but it certainly is a city on the coast called Buchanan, like James Buchanan. Yep. If, like, if I remember correctly, yeah, it, it is something of a uh, slum, uh, which honestly, that tracks with James Buchanan. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just very, very interesting because... Pre-Civil War America, post the Revolutionary War, with, with the, the, the notable exception of the War of 1812, we basically gloss over like four decades yep. in American history. And certainly in terms of like popular history as people are constantly, you know, making reference to that period of like when you have presidents like, was it uh, James K. Polk and uh, yeah, James Buchanan, um, what's it... Uh, Fuck, what's this? Uh, the Fillmore. I can't. The Millard Fillmore. Genuinely, they're just like trivia names. Yeah. We don't remember shit. Um, and so it's yeah. very funny because like this is this massive event that's massively affected by early 19th century American politics. And, and know, it's not Canada. Yeah. When we when we eventually talk about the Liberian Civil War in depth, we will have to talk about the Back to, back to Africa movement and how that all came to be and how... Pretty much as soon as the freed American slaves got to Liberia, they did the exact same thing that uh, settlers in the United States did, which was, uh, upon arrival, oppress the indigenous population. Uh, it's like, we learned from you. Yeah, it, It's a very fucked up story. Um, however, all these fancy rules in place of you know American Jeffersonian democracy does not really matter uh, when you have corrupt warlord uh, number one running a population that has no idea when an election even looks like or voting for that matter uh, because this has been going on for over a decade. The first war had completely devastated the country and torn apart all of the things that make a country a country and a society a society. The education system had been completely destroyed and collapsed. And even before the war, it wasn't exactly stellar to begin with. So by the time and there was like the government was overthrown by a military coup in 1980. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, what was it? Um, Samuel Doe took over. He was like an NCO in the Liberian army. Like we talked about in the Civil War episode, like you said a long time ago. But basically, since it's like it's not quite as destabilized as Afghanistan. 
but basically since the 70s it, yeah it's just been it's pretty it's been unstable. bad it's been bad it's much better these days i will say uh but yeah up until that point it's it was pretty bad and by the time of the 1997 elections a full 90 percent of the population were considered functionally illiterate now while other people knew that and attempted to start education drives for the population on not only the political system, but how representative democracy and voting works. Charles Taylor had a different idea. Now, during the Civil War, he had taken over pretty much every radio station in the country. And radio happened to be the most popular and easily consumable media platform in Liberia because you don't have to be literate to use it. So he monopolized his control over radio to blanket the country in campaign messaging to the point that for most people, he was the only candidate anybody had ever heard of. He used his former militia to plaster his face everywhere uh, in a poster and billboard campaign. And his campaign slogan goes down in history as one of the most insane anybody has ever used. Quote, he killed my ma, he killed my pa, but I'll vote for him. He's not making this up. No, he won with 70% of the vote. I mean, look, it's strong. <laughs> it's memorable. You know, you, you don't want to see him... Yeah, if it's on a button, it's scalable. You could put it on a bumper sticker, on a T-shirt. It's, it's very funny to me that like a, a, a banging slogan overcomes a political hurdle, like it's Richard Nixon and the whole checkers thing with the dog that was given him, to him as a gift. And he was like, yeah, we got a dog. We're going to keep it. Our daughters love it. And everyone saw that. It's like this humanizing thing. And they're like, let's come up with a nice slogan for he slaughtered your family. You know, and unfortunately, because of my age, whenever I hear, of course, uh, like uh, I, I know about Richard Nixon and everything, but whenever I hear about Richard Nixon and Checkers, I only think about Futurama now, um, which I have, I've actually am rewatching now. Um, and, you know, everybody says that like this campaign was very successful because he won him and his party, like his party swept both chambers of government. He won with 70% of the vote. But people should also understand there was the implicit threat that if he didn't win, he would start the fucking war again. And, you know, after about 20 years of instability and war, most people just wanted it to end. It wasn't because they were such a big fan of Charles Taylor, you know? It was like, look, maybe if we give this guy the presidency for a couple of years, he'll stop killing people. This ended up not being true. See, this is what they this is what they could have done if they just let Hillary Clinton be president. <laughs> I, I was going to say there's going to be a lot more dead dogs if Pete Buttigieg had uh, been elected. For the record, no, I'm not one of those Hillary people. If you've never listened to this fucking show before, we're all left wing on this podcast to varying degrees. What did Charles it's Taylor just, know about Hillary Clinton? It's just it it, it, <laughs> it is always very very funny when people like because all the Clintons ever do is just find ways to like get people to donate fucking huge amounts of money to their foundation and for Bill Clinton to sexually harass like women under the age of 25. The idea that they've got like the technodrome for having their enemies murdered is just very, very funny to imagine. Like Hillary couldn't not fucking just find a way to trip on every goddamn banana peel yeah, she, ever put in front of she her. She didn't bother to campaign in Michigan, ignoring all of the uh, the advice yeah. of her staff. But yeah, I'm sure she's running a the, super secret black hand cell of assassins. Yeah, I was gonna say, exactly. It's, it's, it's like every, you know, Colin Powell fucking rest in piss because he failed the moral test of his lifetime, did in one of his leaked emails say about Hillary, even though he was friends with it, everything she does, she manages to screw up with hubris somehow. That's a direct quote. <laughs> But like, so take that. That's the guy who knows it. Do you really think she was running Foxhound? Well, that that's that's generally my thought about general uh, like American conspiracy theory. Like, you know, they plan the nine eleven attacks and they they covered up. Like, the government couldn't even roll out a healthcare website. 
<laughs> well, see, I was going to say, like, the true true link between Charles Taylor and the Clintons is they're both very good at killing mass amounts of impoverished people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Now, Jesus. and to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Charles Taylor rapidly turned into a tyrant. He oppressed minorities even more than normal. He ruled by decree. He murdered political opponents and attempted to make Liberia into a regional power by funding rebel groups in neighboring countries, most famously the Revolutionary United Front, or RUF, in Sierra Leone, one of the most psychotic groups of people to ever grace the planet Earth, and one day will be a topic of a series. He probably became the most infamous and well-known weapons and blood diamond smugglers in the modern world, getting most of them from Russian arms dealer Victor Boot, who has the sick nickname, the Merchant of Death, and you know became much more known in recent news articles for being switched back to uh, Russia for uh, Brittany Griner in a prisoner exchange, where he promptly joined the most psychotic far-right political party in Russia and started <laughs> talking about how the federal prison system has like 72 genders or something. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically like this guy who was a, you know, Soviet Jew who grew up in Brighton Beach that they made a movie about starring Nicolas Cage is now basically like a, an anti-woke Facebook grandpa. Uh, I should. In Russian. He that part of the movie is not based on Boot's life. That's it's like an amalgamation of other people. Boot was born gotcha. born and raised in the Soviet Union. I believe he was in the Soviet Air Force and he was a colonel. Um, oh yeah. damn! I just watch movies with Nicolas Cage and get all my history. Yeah. Did you know that there was a fucking there's there's a guy who got to wear John Travolta's face? <laughs> Wait, are you saying it was some kind of face off? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, Nick Nicolas Cage and. Both, both got that privilege. Oh, God. You have to cut that part out. Now, finally, he uh, finally Charles Taylor pissed off enough people they began funding rebel groups to oppose him. He pissed off so many people that the entire economic community of the Western African states, or ECOWAS, who had literally just monitored the election that put him in power, plotted against him, leading to two different rebel invasions in the North and South, starting a second civil war in 1999. Um, now, to really get into the meat of our story, we have to jump back in time where all good African dictator stories begin in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Hell yeah. Because Charles Taylor visited America once upon a time, like many Liberians, uh, he traveled there for university. He eventually met Bernice Emanuel in Boston in 1970. The two eventually fell in love, moved in together, and Bernice eventually got pregnant. They had a baby boy named... And this is a very Liberian name, Charles MacArthur Emanuel, and they settled in for a normal life. Taylor at the time was still in college, but he was in the process of dropping out, and he was working at shit jobs at Sears and selling insurance for the Mutual of Omaha company in order to pay the bills. I just want to know, like, what was Charles Taylor Sr.'s uh, opinion on Dunkin' Donuts? Like, was, it, was he getting his tall ice? Was he getting some munchkins to go along with it? Look, I think it's fair to say that uh, he's probably a fan. He's a pretty big Americana guy. Uh, it, Don't talk to Charles Taylor until he's had his morning dunk. I mean, it would be also very funny if it turned out that he didn't get into rap until much later, that he was just like a huge extreme fan. I, he, like, Charles Taylor himself, probably not the biggest. I, actually, if you guys want to talk to him, he's closer to you than you think. But we'll get to that point. 
Um, <laughs> now, this went on for eight years. Taylor eventually said, fuck this noise and went back to Liberia and helped launch a coup in the 1980s. He also married someone else and only went... Incredible divorce dad energy. Well, they, him like, and Bernice were never married. Um, and, and the okay. person that he marries back in Liberia is more of a political power play than anything else. Uh, so like big dead, instead of like paying child support and, you know, like being there for my family, I'm going to abscond and launch a coup. It gets worse. Um, he, he went back to the U.S. because political heat in Liberia got so bad he thought he might get murdered. Uh, for This is a probably a pretty good feeling that he had because he embezzled around $10 million from the government and ran away with it. Um, he then used this money to lavish it upon his American family, buying them anything they could ever want. Though he had eventually caught a warrant for this little embezzlement trick from the Liberian government and was eventually arrested upon it, pending extradition to almost certain execution when he was in the United States. Though, this was again a hold down old tricky Chuck. Taylor conned a car thief into arranging his escape and broke out of the Plymouth County Jail in Massachusetts, fled the country, and ran for, <sighs> you guessed it, Libya to get training for Muammar Gaddafi. Yes! Uh, yes! Yeah, okay. The unifying theory of Muammar Gaddafi. It all comes back to Gaddafi. If you don't understand my enthusiasm, sign up to the Patreon. Yeah. Listen to the episode we did about Gaddafi. We had a very, very fun episode on the Patreon. You should sign up for it. It's really good. When I read the sentence that he ended up working with Gaddafi, I audibly sighed and like put my head in my hands because I was just like, of course he did. <laughs> um... Uh, I feel like that's also like kind of the, the mise on a beam of this show is you put your head in your hands and you're like knowing both that it's fucked up and also that we're just going to start hooting about it. <laughs> yes, that is <laughs> also I am hooting. True. I am hollering. Did like Charles Taylor give um, I'm, sla- I'm, my I'm own slapping my green book like, on my desk. Did he, Charles Taylor bring back like, you know, like a Grandmaster Flash like tape and give it to Gaddafi and he's like, hmm, this is very good. <laughs> now, Bernice and her son moved on with their lives. She married another guy and the family moved to Orlando, Florida. And it's noted in a source, they're like one street over from uh, the the amusement park that's there. I don't know why that's important. It's just funny to me when in the context of this episode. Um, as Charles, his son, because there's Charles, uh, I'll call Charles Taylor, Charles Taylor, and Charles the son, Charles, until he, ch- he eventually starts going by Chucky, but not yet. Um, his son grows up and he never heard from his dad. They assumed that he was dead or in prison, which they were about 50% correct because he did end up in more than one prison over this gap year. Um, then in 1989 on Christmas Eve, Taylor reemerged as a self-styled revolutionary leader invading Liberia with a small rebel army. A month later, Charles now going by the nickname Chucky went with his mother to county clerk's office to change his name to that of his stepfather, becoming Roy Belfast Jr. <laughs> this is still his Once legal name. Once again, comes back to Gaddafi. This is still his legal name. Um, pretty much everybody who knew Chucky, which I'll keep using that name because it's generally what he's known by, even though his legal name per the Bureau of Prisons is Roy Belfast Jr. I'm going to go with Chucky. Uh, he says that, uh, that everybody says he was very shy, he was super awkward, and he was a nerd. He never partied or drank, and instead would play Dungeons and Dragons with his friends, which he had very few of. Keep that in I mind mean, for later. Goals? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hating on Chucky. Relatable? I'm not, I, I'm not hating on Chucky. I, I, uh, that's not me, but I, I have in, in this field in which we work, we have simply met that guy. Now, he wasn't the son of a West African dictator that but we know we of. We have met that guy. That we know of. <laughs> that we, we met know that guy. Of. 
This is my podcast co-host, Jerk Vanderkloof. Uh, <laughs> his family moved to Armenia in 1996 and won't say why. Uh, but see, like, it's it's funny because uh, this just proves that all of the 80s satanic panic around Dungeons & Dragons is totally justified. Because if your kid is playing Dungeons & Dragons or doing any tabletop role-playing game, they too could become a West African warlord. Hold just imagine <laughs> the guy who Armenianized his name is now Jerk Vanderklerkian is like... <laughs> One hundred percent, fucking in your mentions, yelling at you about how like he wants to be anti-trans. He's just like a super, super system of a down he's fan. Just, he's just like massive. He's stand. calling me a Turk and a traitor. Exactly. Um, he's a system of the down fan, but he he basically he he got the stems of their original recording, so we can only listen to John Dolmian's parts. This is a, this is a type of guy, massive system of a down fan, but hates Serge Tonkin for his politics. You know, it's really it's really really funny that like cultural entryism. That's another one of those examples of fucking like system of a down does this, and it's like the most right wing shit has liked their music. But I feel like the best example of cultural entryism trying to change like facilitate political change failing is. Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah. Because, like, every yeah. single one of us knows right-wing shitheads. In fact, Joe and I were in the military with them who, like, fucking love Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. And it's like, yep, sorry, Maybe buddy. blaring, like, killing in the name of, like, who do you think yeah, they're singing yeah. about, guys? Yeah, I wonder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, like ro- rolling into fucking Fallujah playing, like, Vietnam. I was like, I wonder what this song's about. It's badass, though. <laughs> but this guy we're imagining is just the Armenian version of Ollie London. Ugh. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Now, Chucky did not like his biological father and never talked about ever wanting to reconnect with him in any way. For example, one time Charles called him but asked to speak to Bernice, who was not there. Chucky didn't recognize Charles' voice, and when Charles said, hey, by the way, I'm your dad, do you want to talk? Chucky said no and hung up the phone, which I identify (laughs) with Chucky in this situation. I was going to ask, I didn't want to be a dickhead, Joe, but I was just sort of like, I felt as though there were many, many opportunities in just what you've said so far to be like, oh yeah, and that's basically my dad too. Yeah. So I'm actually glad you said it and cleared the air because I felt like I was going to be an asshole if I made a joke you, about it. You could cut the dad joke tension with a machete in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> Though a few years later, Charles called and kept calling, constantly inviting to come to Liberia, who, where you know he was a warlord and Liberia is trapped in the middle of a civil war. Finally, for some reason, Bernice accepted the invitation and took Chucky um, because Liberia in the middle of a civil war sounds like the perfect time and place for a vacation. I don't know what they were thinking here. Um, but this is, this is like a like my friends who are like different context, not a war zone, but like my friends from like Ghana and Nigeria who are like their parents, like threaten them if they're, if they were bad as a teenager is like, Oh, you're going to get sent to the home country. Yeah. And then like you, you fuck up in school and you think you're going on a holiday and suddenly you're in Lagos uh, for like an entire summer or a year. I have an even better example of this. It's really funny. There was a, an American teenager whose parents were immigrants from Jamaica who growing up in New York kept getting, kept fucking around. And while he was like a middle schooler, got kicked out of school. And so his parents were like, that's it. You're living with your aunt and uncle in fucking Morecambe, Lancashire. And his name is Buster Rhymes. <laughs> Buster Rhymes lived in Morecambe for like a year. That's the ultimate the punishment. Yes, ex- it literally was. Yes. But like, th- this is like when I found out or when the world found out that 21 Savage is English. It's like, this is so strange right. and he, but, can't, but he cannot leave the US. But it's one of those things that's different. Like, yes, his, he's English in the sense that like, okay, his mom was from Dominica. She moved over to the United Kingdom after Dominica. It was like one of the last Caribbean colonies to gain independence. So 
he was technically a British citizen who was born and then like, but he was raised in Atlanta and he was absolutely mm -hmm. American, but like much like MF Doom was fucked because of stupid passport laws and citizenship laws. Yeah. yeah like it's exactly, it's like, it's, it's, it's not like, it's not like 21 Savage was going to say, you know, like fucking, you know, pints with the lads in it or something like that. Like he's American. <laughs> she suck on my willy. Oh, it's so delightful. <laughs> if I kept you in West Gloucestershire, you'll soon catch the rifle. Yes. Ro Roger. <laughs> yeah. Charles arranged for Bernice and their daughter, because they did have a daughter as well, to stay at a separate house, but insisted that Chucky stay with him. Chucky, a kid from Orlando who played Dungeons and Dragons, soon found himself surrounded by one of the strangest militias of all time. They would dress up like clowns, cross-dress as women, be ripped out of their minds on various kinds of drugs, and wear amulets that they insisted made them invincible. Many of them are child soldiers from the, and this is, I swear to God, this is actually called the boys unit that would call Charles Taylor dad. Wasn't there another thing with a small boy unit? Because I thought that was such... Is this the same thing? Yes. Because I remember the backstory in Metal Gear Solid 2 about how like... I want to say it was Raiden was like trained in the small boy unit. I was like, this is so fucking stupid. This is so funny. And then I was like, nope. Someone was like, no, actually, that's legitimately a real thing. Yeah. Uh, many people don't know this, but Kojima is a huge fan of Charles Taylor. <laughs> 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 that's not true. That's it's not like, true. Kojima loves... Kojima loves Mads Mikkelsen. Um, he loves Guillermo del Toro and Charles Taylor. But I'm just thinking, of, I'm just thinking of Chucky. Like, do you guys want to play Dungeons and Dragons? I'm a level twelve mage. This is so funny though to imagine because you have like these like really kind of like melodramatic like this year movie announcer voice actors doing like the characters in Metal Gear Solid. He was, like, he was trained in the small boy unit. It just sounds so fucking yeah. ridiculous, but it's like. No, it's, it was a real thing. What if we got Charles Taylor to make the world's deadliest twing? <laughs> His name is Raiden and everyone hates him. And, and that, Get ready for this video game. Two thirds of it is Raiden being a bitch to his girlfriend. Uh, and just <laughs> I'm imagining Chucky like, hey guys, you want to roll for initiative? And he looks at all the, the, the young, the child soldiers are doing lines of heroin mixed with gunpowder. Yeah. Like, no, we're the, good, dog. <laughs> like, you do your own thing. Yeah, was, yeah, exactly. It's like try, trying to fucking break out the 12-sided dice with like a bunch of kids younger than you who are just like sucking on gin popsicles being like yo what the fuck is a board game <laughs> you want to go uh fire a rocket launcher wildly into the air um I, oh and this is unimportant but this is all taking place in uh in charles taylor's stronghold bong city <laughs> yes we're getting ripped out of it we're listening to reefer sutherland we're like throwing around dice, talking about wizards with like kids ripped out of their minds can I, can on opium. I throw a really insane detail about Liberia that I happen to know. I promise this won't take too long. Friend of mine, uh, his brother-in-law was diplomatic security for a long time for the State Department, and then did private security stuff, like not like fucking contractor in Iraq shit, but like private security where it was not war zones, but almost. And one of the places that he did it was in Liberia, a uh, post the end of, of the conflict but he had been there during the conflict i think with the state department and he said that there was a and like i said this is apocryphal and this is heard third hand so if, if someone who knows this to be false please fucking comment he said that th there was a kind of a folk legend it may not be true or not but that people who because there was a second wave of people for black americans uh, emigrating to liberia repatriating to africa uh in the 60s and 70s and that one of the things that was sort of known that people would do was kind of like they would make it up almost a ceremony of either tearing up or just throwing their u.s passport into the ocean 
And he said oh. that apparently in the late 90s, early 2000s, there were this, this phenomenon and they called these people beachcombers who were completely out of their mind, who would just go out on the beach all day and dig holes with their hands trying to find an American passport. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily their passport. It's Yamashita's it's gold, but passports. It's just a rumor that there would be an American passport in the beach. But like... They're trying to find the one piece. That's the level of fucking just like insane desperation that was going on there. And it's just like... Also, because it's like people are like, oh, they want to get their passports back. It's like, listen, dude, if you're still an American citizen, you can fucking repatriate. They'll get you back. Yeah. Like, they may not Ripping be Ripping up your passport does not delete it your citizenship. Not, it doesn't. Yeah. Believe, believe me, as someone who would probably long-term be advantaged by renouncing their American citizenship. That emphatically does not make you no longer an American citizen. And it certainly doesn't obviate your requirements to fucking file your taxes and pay pay and basically be surveilled by the US government everywhere you go. Yeah. So I correct. Join us next week for Netflix's live action rendition of Liberian One Piece. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the end of my I mean, anecdote. Not, sorry, sorry for the uh, for the uh, derail there. Chuck, you. I mean, no. To be fair, if it's going to be, if we're going to have African One Piece, it's going to be in Somalia. It'd almost certainly be in like Nigeria with their sick uh, movie industry that they have. Have you ever seen a Nigerian? <laughs> one piece. Have you ever seen yes. a Nigerian action movie? They fucking rule. They fucking whip ass. They do so much with like a stolen copy of 3D Studio from 1999. It's incredible. Yep. Nollywood movies are great. I mean, look. Like, I think Nollywood movies are, are extremely entertaining, but I know nothing about the cultural context. One of my friends in the army was Nigerian American. He's just like, I cannot fucking believe you like those movies. Do you know how many times I've been forced to sit by my aunt, my aunties and uncles to watch shit I fucking hate? <laughs> now, ch- now, now you know how I feel about Mrs. Brown's Boys being the most popular TV show in the UK. <laughs> Chucky was impressed by his warlord father, and this seemed to have a massive impression on him because when he returned to the united states he was a completely different person now there is like stories that he saw like a lot of violence when he was there but i can't actually confirm that because it mostly is just stories from him and he lies a lot about himself um he began partying drinking a ton and doing every drug he'd get his hands on some of this may have just been because he was now in his late teens um and he's in orlando when his friends uh, were getting arrested by the police one night, Chucky, a guy who had seemingly never been in a fight before in his life, jumped in and started fighting the cops. In 1994, he and a friend of his attempted to mug a man at gunpoint. When the victim ran home and his friend followed him, they broke into his house, held the entire family up with a pistol, and then when the cops showed up, he tried to run, but was arrested. He was charged with four different felonies, but because he was 16, he faced a much reduced sentence of three years, was released on bail and was pending a trial. Then he attempted suicide in a bathtub. Like this was shocking to everyone who knew him. I mean, Charles Taylor doesn't know his son, but uh, Bernice was completely like taken aback. She like she often said that he was a completely different person when he came back from Liberia the first time. Um, and his mom had no idea what to do for her son. And because, you know, it's the United States in the early to mid nineties. And also it's just the United States in general. There's no real mental health care to see, you know, what, what has happened to my son. So instead she called up Charles Taylor, who is again, still in the middle of a civil war and said, I'm sending you Chucky. He's it's your turn to deal with him. See if they had intervention healthcare, we could have saved Chucky Taylor and also stopped people from listening to Car Seat Headrest. I don't know what that is. Every time you guys talk about music, it's you're speaking a foreign language <laughs> to me. No, that 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 is you, that, you that could, is for a certain. You could you could I just f- invent a fucking band name, and I wouldn't. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like some indie band. I don't know. No, that that that's a joke for the Discord. They'll get it. Now, despite him still facing 
again, four felonies. He left the United States becoming a, uh, you know, a wanted person and arrived in Bong County, Liberia in his dad's rebel camp, which was in Bong City. Fuck's sake. I, sh- I should have put as many some, like, times bong as I can. Sounds. I, I, will- <laughs> I am going to put so many like sounds into the recording now even charles taylor knew this was not a great place for his son other kids sure but not his and sent and sent (laughs) him to Accra, a private academy which was in ghana um now i think at this point he started to learn the kind of person that he had turned his son into because chucky was promptly arrested and expelled from Accra for possessing a kalashnikov rifle on school grounds (laughs) He's doing fucking, like, red-hot dabs out of an AK-47. Like, he was just trying to bring Ghana American culture by bringing an assault rifle to school. Uh, he also had a ton, he also oh. had a ton of drugs. Um, now, yeah. Now, like we said, eventually Charles Taylor took over Liberia, and he took his son back with him from Ghana, moving into a palace in Monrovia and putting him in another prep school, the College of West Africa. He also got expelled from that one, again, for bringing a gun to school. Um, so how do you, uh, this shocked me, right? This college is in Liberia and it says college, but it's like high school. Um, how do you manage to get expelled from a school in a country where your dad is not only president, but that president is Charles fucking Taylor? Yeah. You gotta be a massive dickhead. I'm not going to lie. Like the school, like trustee board is like, look, we know your dad's going to kill us all, but like we, you can't come here anymore. (laughs) yeah i mean it's one of those things where you really have to fuck up so undeniably before they're actually willing to do that so one imagines that that it was it was more worth their time to be rid of him while running a school than to worry about pleasing charles taylor which yeah like you said saying something it's it's impressive at this point of his life chucky began to pretend to be a gangster from the streets of the u.s um, remember, he grew up in the 90s, heavily influenced by East Coast rap culture. And this is not the kind of person he ever was in any kind of reality. He dressed up like his favorite East Coast rappers. He did his hair in cornrows, which was a hairstyle pretty much unheard of in Liberia. He wore a Kevlar vest everywhere he went. He wore a durag and he carried a pistol. Mind you, again, Chucky was never really... He was never in a gang. He never knew anybody in a gang. But now that he had the power of his dad as president at his back, it allowed him to live out his wildest fantasies with zero repercussions at all. And for people who are listening that have seen Lord of War, Nate, I know you have. Tom, I don't think you have. But... Now, when I watched Lord of War the first time, obviously that man, like that guy, is supposed to be a stand-in for Charles Taylor. But what I didn't know is the stand-in for his son in the film, like the stand-in for Chucky, drives around, I believe, in a Cadillac and he fires a machine gun into the air wherever he goes. The, the gun of Rambo guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring I did, the gun of Rambo. Yeah, I did not know that was actually based on Charles Taylor's actual son. <laughs> uh, and uh, to be clear. Chucky did not have a sick Cadillac or a machine gun. He had, and he probably didn't talk with a funny accent. Like he, no, he was American. He probably, he, but he, he was de- he was desperate to write Chuck ones part three. And like, <laughs> what he did, he had to settle for driving around in a Volkswagen Jetta and firing a pistol out of the window, which is significantly less cool. Nobody is cool driving around a Volkswagen Jetta. It's impossible. Actually, I, I disagree. I fucking disagree. When I was back in Bedford, Indiana, I saw a dude who had gotten a diesel Jetta and he'd put a fucking rolling coal smokestack on the front hood that totally blocked the fucking driver's field of vision, but was rolling coal on the on like state road 32 
that with is, a Jetta. That is simultaneously less cool and so dumb it's awesome. Look, look, man, Southern Indiana is not a place I ever want to live again, but it does periodically amaze me, and that was one of those examples. Whipping shitties in a Volkswagen Jetta in Liberia while firing a pistol yep. out the window and like playing like early Rick Ross tapes. And like I think at this point Rick Ross is still a prison guard. All right. <laughs> um, now he had a girlfriend back in the United States. Uh, they're both about 18 and they've been writing letters the whole time. And he eventually talked her into moving Liberia moving to Liberia and they got married there in 2000. Now Obviously, Charles Taylor was supporting his son this entire time, but unlike, uh, kind of weirdly, like Adolf Hitler, uh, he would not allow his like stupid uh, relative to just coast on his money, and he tried to get him to have a job. If you remember, Willie Hitler, in an episode a long time ago, um, attempted to leverage his uncle being Adolf Hitler for a cushy job where he did nothing, and Hitler just got him a job at a used car lot. I mean, Willie Hitler sounds like a terrible game show. I was like, Willie Hitler. Yeah, he he insisted on keeping his last name for a long time. Um, (laughs) So Charles Taylor pushed him, his son, to go get a job. And it turned out Chucky wasn't so good at working. He got into the timber industry, but even with the influence of his dad, couldn't keep his job. He kept getting fired for simple things such as never going to work. Uh, all of the expulsions and all around shitbaggery had also ruined the budding relationship with his father. But as things in Liberia got worse and worse because of his dad being president, he told his dad he had a new idea for a job. Security. National security, to be specific, despite the fact he had no experience or education on most things, but specifically this. Um, because... ECOWAS had already supported the North and South invasions of the country, uh, specifically the from the North out of Guinea. So, you know, Charles Taylor's like peak paranoid, um, and he wants people loyal to himself rather than anybody who's competent. Right? He he wants people who aren't going to overthrow him. So, with the as much of, as much of a monster as Charles Taylor is, you do appreciate that he wasn't going to raise no nepo baby. Oh, hold on to that thought. See, you got ahead of yourself, Tom. You got ahead of yourself. It's like you're new around here or something. (laughs) So with the backing of his dad, Chucky founded the Anti-Terrorist Unit, or the ATU. He built an entire training facility for this new unit in Bong County. Uh, This headquarters quickly turned to a fortress of doom that everyone was terrified of. And because Chucky is a teenager, he calls this place Cobra Base because he's still a huge fucking nerd. Now, Chucky knew he had no idea what he was doing when he talked his father into making him the head of national security of a country. So he imported mercenaries, mostly from the Gambia, Burkina Faso, Ukraine, and (sighs) Liberia, because he knew Gaddafi was going to come back up here somewhere, right? Um, Now, together, these guys created what had to be the most psychotic training program the world has ever seen since, like... The Cryptia in Sparta. The government would consistently feed the ATU conscripts, many of whom are child soldiers. Most of whom are child soldiers. Training mostly boiled down to nonstop physical training combined with starvation and savage beatings. Conscripts who didn't drop dead from the combination of those things, which many of them did, would routinely be killed in other ways. Again, this was meant to be training. This included ordering conscripts to shoot other conscripts while they learned to use their rifles. Others were burned alive during rope drills, which required them to climb over flaming barrels of gasoline. 
This was so insane that it was even beyond the pale for Charles Taylor, the world's most renowned champion of child soldier slavery, and he removed and replaced Chucky from Cobra Base multiple times. However, because Charles could trust his son to not overthrow him, he was always quickly put back in command, and the ATU rapidly became the most powerful arm of the government security apparatus, so much so that Taylor gutted the Liberian military down to nothing because he was worried that it would overthrow him. The ATU got almost all of the money and the best equipment that could be found in the country, which they promptly used to commit some of the most horrific war crimes of the Second Liberian Civil War. I think it's also worth noting as well that, like, like Chucky was a kind of an understudy of Bill Horace as well, who, like, escaped Liberia, like, in the early 2000s, who's, like, you know, you did, like, crucifixions, like, the most insane levels of torture, so, like, this is the guy he's learned from. Yep. At, at one point, rebels raided a town in the north, and the ATU is dispatched to handle it. Instead of trying to explain what happens next, I will simply read directly from the federal indictment against him. He selected three persons from the group and similarly shot them in front of the others. The ATU detained several survivors and brought them to a base at Gabata. By that time, the prisoners had been pistol whipped by Chucky and several ATU officers. The prisoners were then... Okay, before I go on, content warning. Uh, the prisoners were then tossed into pits, which were covered with iron bars and barbed wire. The torture, including being burned by cigarettes, having pl plastic melted onto their genitals. Chucky ordered the execution of a prisoner, but when an ATU officer raised his gun, Chucky instructed him to cut off the man's head instead. Several officers had held the man down, forced his head over a bucket, then the soldiers severed the victim's head from uh, cutting his throat from back to front, and then dumped the bucket full of blood on the other prisoners. Oh. Remember when he was just a nerd playing Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, see, that's that, the thing. That was that nice. Like, as Tom's going to have to cut out all the fucking cathartic vaping sounds from my audio track. Um, it's like <laughs> the jokes are ridiculous, but then you realize that these people are actual fucking monsters. monsters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Chucky Taylor is a fucking asshole. Um, and one of Liberia's generals complained to Charles Taylor about his son's death squad. The general was then arrested and delivered to Cobra Base. This general, General uh, Tarnui, was a fucking vicious war criminal himself like everybody within the liberian government at the time and he still thought chucky had gone too far however in my opinion what is much more likely is that he was worried that the at would eventually come to him and arrest him and do that to him because of their growing sense of paranoia now tarnui mm -hmm. did survive the torture that came next he managed to flee liberia and he became a parking lot security guard in baltimore maryland love it not yeah, give back to the community not important but i thought it was weird that like if you if you yeah. pull into somewhere in Baltimore, Maryland, your car might be being protected by a Liberian war criminal. Yeah, or you go to like you 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 buy anything from a grocery store on the south side of Staten Island. Like yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> Soon, yeah, like I I suppose maybe this is a random thought, but given it's Cobra Base, do you reckon uh, Chucky Taylor dressed up as Cobra Commander? I would like to think like, so. Well, he's I mean, because he, he's a nerd. Of course, he's going to be like, into cosplay. If you look at the rest of the 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 wild militias that made up the Liberian security apparatus, dressing up as Cobra Commander doesn't even rate as the top five yeah, weirdest that, thing out just, there. That's just a normal. That's just a normal military uniform. Soon, Chucky got into the family business, gun running and dealing in blood diamonds out of Sierra Leone. He became so well-known in this trade, working for some of the worst people in the world, including fucking Al-Qaeda, that he eventually had something in common with his dad, a UN-mandated security travel ban. 
like father, like son. At one point, when infamous gunrunner Leonid Minin uh, had his Italian apartment raided, they found direct faxes between him and Chucky, as well as four prostitutes and a kilo of cocaine. Though he was in Italy, I assume they just gave him those things when he crossed the border. There's a Blood Brothers <laughs> song called Huge Gold, AK-47, and it's not the kind of music that fucking Chucky Taylor would like or produce, as we'll get into later. But that's all I can think of when I think of these guys. Like, a huge gold AK-47 would probably be impractical as fuck, but it's the kind of thing these dudes would just have. I wouldn't be surprised if he had one, yeah. Now, this might shock you. All this torture and murder really weighed heavily on his marriage, and he had pretty much abandoned his family at this point. Eventually, in 2002, he simply walked into his family home in Monrovia and told his wife he wanted a divorce, bought her and their child a one-way ticket back to Florida, and didn't speak to them. Uh, though they never actually signed the divorce papers. I think Chucky, because I mean, he hadn't matured since the age of 16, I think. he, I, I think he just kind of thought if he said that he wanted a divorce, it made it happen. And he is like, he is, he is slowly peeling away from the realm of reality through a combination of drugs and being allowed to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Reality was bending and breaking around him. His wife and kids seem to be the only thing keeping him somewhat tethered to Earth. With them out of the picture, Chucky got even worse. He murdered his own personal driver for hitting a dog with his car. He didn't kill him because he liked dogs. He killed him for denting his BMW, which makes him just the average BMW owner. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, uh, As the commonly known acronym for BMW is Big Massive Wanker. <laughs> I mean, look, living in the United Kingdom, I would fully fucking support that. absolutely that's correct because if i'm gonna die on my bike it's probably going to be somewhere in hackney or bethnal green or rather hackney or or tower hamlets and i'm gonna get hit by like a seven series going a hundred miles an hour on a road that was built for a single horse cart i have no choice but to agree with both of you but also elevate mercedes drivers along with them um that's true in my opinion and tom can correct me mercedes nowhere near as popular here as bmw you should come to the caucuses sometimes. <laughs> like, it, it, it's kind of a difference. Like, if you are, like, a young guy who, like, and it's funny because, like, all these guys have cars on finance. Like, they are two payments away from getting all this shit repossessed. 100%, yeah. But it's like, like, you want to get, like, a blacked out BMW with, like, tinted windows and, like, alloy wheels. Or you're getting, like, a silver Merc. Like, I nearly got knocked over crossing the street a couple of weeks ago by a dude in like a mer- in a Merc because I was like going across the street he pulled out he like drove up street pulled directly to where people are supposed to cross and it's just like a little Nate you know the place down the street it's like a little narrow gap where it's one way and like there's a woman who like nearly got her foot ran over and just started slamming on a- his car and he just looked over and told her to fuck off and I'm like uh, as anybody uh. who's uh, as anybody who knows, I was hit by a car a few months ago in the parking lot of my own apartment, and it was a Mercedes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Now, when uh, the, his driver hit this dog, uh, he ordered the rest of his bodyguards to beat the driver until quote you see his bones and shit. Uh, this is also from uh. the federal indictment. Now, by this point, Charles Taylor was badly losing the war, and the special court for Sierra Leone had indicted Charles Taylor on 17 counts of crimes against humanity, which is pretty much all of them outside of genocide. Though, Chucky eventually reached back out to his wife and uh, managed to talk her back into returning Liberia with with their kid. 
She was urged by Chucky's mom to try to control him and rein him back from his more insane tendencies. And his wife agreed, saying, quote, even though he was a shitty father and a shitty husband, I didn't want him to die. Though when she returned, he was long gone, constantly juiced to the gills on drugs, most likely truly an impressive amount of cocaine that could only being a warlord uh, could bring someone. She said that the international court indictment of his father had cemented the idea to him that it was only a matter of time before their little empire of horrors came crashing down and they both died. He spent his days ripping fat lines of coke and heroin, wandering out to the streets to direct the ATU to kidnap and murder people at random. As rebels closed in on Monrovia, Chucky's wife flushed his drugs down the toilet, causing him to nearly murder her. So she and their child got back on the plane and got the hell out of the country for the last time, and they haven't seen each other since. When the Battle of Monrovia started, it immediately turned into such a chaotic clusterfuck that people who live in Monrovia call it World War III. Multiple different sides fought one another in a swirling miasma of war crimes, petty crimes, robbery, and things I don't really feel like talking about right now. Rather than face the same fate as Samuel Doe, Charles Taylor and his son ran, for going first to Nigeria. Though Chucky himself kind of bounced around, doing drugs and crime everywhere he went. He, uh, before like the, you know, the heat closed in on him, he'd fuck off somewhere else. At one point, he landed in Trinidad and cut a 20-track mixtape. And as badly as I want to hear this mixtape, I can't find it because I don't think he tried to do anything with it. Like This is before the, the era of like online music, like SoundCloud isn't a thing yet. So he probably just like, if a physical copy exists, that's probably the only way that it does exist. However, 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 thanks to a guardian article, I do have some of his lyrics. Oh, we read them out. We take no slack. Y'all try to handle mine, lane bodies and stacks. Take this for free. Six feet under is where you're going to be. So yeah, he's a horrorcore rapper. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I was going to say, like, if he had, like, essentially gotten away with everything, he could have been on, like, a very mid Lil Wayne mixtape. Guess, or- guessing on a Juicy J song, you know, <laughs> like an album deep cut or a mixtape. I mean, he has the clout. Like, who wouldn't want the the son of a dictator slash convicted war criminal at uh, in, within a couple of years on their tape, right? Like, it's like having any other annoying... Instagram personality who has no distinctive talent, but having them in the background is like the hype man is is you know yeah. Well, I mean, thing. like and for, for for those I've been I've been out of paying attention to the to the mixtape scene for a while, but for those of you who may remember before Gucci Man got sober and, and became like uh, Mr. Positivity <laughs> when he was really in the doldrums of his career falling apart when he was like mega addicted and like going to, to prison for throwing a woman out of a car, he did a mixtape with V Nasty. Now, if that mm. name doesn't ring a bell, don't, does don't not. look. She, so remember Krayshawn and the Gucci Gucci song? Big, big up Krayshawn. Krayshawn's a legend. Nasty, who is a white girl from Oakland who had a, a trillion times less flow than she did. Unbelievably bad. And yet, for some reason, Gucci Man did a mixtape with her because it's one of those things where it's like, well, there's enough of a following. This is going to get some eyeballs on it. Some people are yeah. going to listen to it just because. And it's like, so I agree with you. Had he gotten out of liberia unscathed from this like he might very well have been like <laughs> on one of the sort of like people who, who whose career fell off when they were no longer involved with three six but were still rapping in memphis mixtapes uh, i but, like, i really ima- like the idea what- of him doing a collab with little xan <laughs> <laughs> no but like imagine what the cover of a collab album between chucky taylor and gucci Mane would have been like 
Like that that exact era, like, you know, two thousand and six, seven until like when he went away and got like sober and everything. Just like banger after banger after banger, like cover art. Like imagine like it's just like the two of them like with AKs or some shit. Like, I don't know. Also it's Huge like amount- this guy obviously had a lot of bricks of cocaine in his life. So he's gonna have to partner up with a cocaine rapper. So I would see, I can't imagine Pusha T wanting to do a track with him, but who does that leave? Fucking Rick Ross. It all oh, comes full circle. Exactly. I, I think Rick Ross is still a prison guard. <laughs> no, well, like, 09, like, what, by 0910, nah, man. He was, he, that, that's, well, where we're no, at, like, that's where we're at now, aren't we? Like, no, we're, we're like 2005, 2006. Yeah, I don't really know it was Rick Ross, to be honest with you. I think he was a prison no, guard in the like, 90s, to be honest with you. But Yeah, because we're around like the Carter 3, the Carter 2 Yeah, era. 3 was 08, so yeah, we're, we're good. No, I, I, I do think Rick Ross, I, I'm, I'm live Googling because I, so uh, we got to do sometimes is, you know, like, like there's, I'm not, it's not even Google. I'm using fucking Microsoft edge. Rocky's Every single Bing. one of us on this recording is going okay. to die from a sunburn. We have to Google rap facts. For, first have of all, them all Tom is fired yeah, for no. using Bing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, first Rick Ross album, August 8th, 2006, Port of Miami. There you go. There right. you go. Okay, it's so possible. He, he done it. He should. He could have done a collab with Rick Ross. There we yeah. have it. Wake up in a new Bugatti, but it's uh, Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> I think I'm Big Meech, Chucky e. Taylor, something, 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 something. You come from yeah, Liberia. Chuck, what color is your Bugatti? And Chucky e. Taylor would have been more like Big Lurch. Okay. Uh, for, for people who don't know who Big Lurch is, don't Google what he did. It's awful. Okay. Well, I won't. I won't do that at all. Big Big Lurch was a horrorcore rapper who ate a person. Um, <laughs> Oh, so he's like, he's like fucking, what is it? <laughs> like mayhem, but for hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, now, eventually, eventually in 2006, Nigeria arrests Charles Taylor for extradition to The Hague to stay in trial for countless crimes. This made Chucky panic and decide that he was finally going to go home back to Florida. And he was arrested upon arrival. Now, he was not arrested for what you think he was arrested for. Uh, he was arrested because he was traveling at a forged passport. Now... <laughs> This is Al Capone taxes shit. And the thing is, I'm reading about Big Lurch. And the thing is, like, the government had no fucking idea what he'd been up to in Liberia. Like, they knew about his weapon smuggling and diamond smuggling and shit, but they originally only charged him for traveling on a falsified passport. He pled guilty and was sentenced to 11 months in prison. Only then did his crimes slowly start to bubble to the surface as the FBI worked on their investigation about his smuggling. Um, so the arms smuggling and diamond smuggling, stuff like that. So when the FBI started interviewing people involved in the smuggling ring, only then did they learn about the crimes of the ATU and the investigation quickly switched directions. Chucky managed to fall victim to probably the most obscure criminal statue on the books in the United States. One that prohibits us citizens from torturing people abroad. And he, he is so far the he was the first person to ever be charged with that crime, and to my understanding, the only one. You're going to get charged with that for like making me sit on this show. <laughs> he pled not guilty, and his defense did not inspire confidence in his ability to beat the charges. Now he claimed that everything he did was covered by the Geneva Conventions, which I would argue is true, but not the way that he thinks it is. Another thing his lawyer did was attempt to compare the actions by the ATU to the United States' so-called enhanced interrogation methods, also known as torture. Now, 
As funny as this is to do as a defense tactic, I don't think anybody in good faith could compare the two. Two things can be bad at the same time while being very, very different and also bad. We're not going to go into the enhanced interrogation methods, but nobody is being thrown into barrels of burning gasoline. Though he he couldn't escape the pile of evidence against him, he broke down into complete nonsense. He wrote to a Guardian journalist who asked him to defend himself against some of the charges. He said, quote, Now the question arises. Am I a big fish in Liberia? And among pan-Africanists in the region, my response is, I'm a mere tadpole in a vast ocean filled with sharks. And mind you, in in his letter, he has with as W with a slash through it. Scavengers and whales pounded by hurricanes doesn't make any fucking sense. Then, when his lawyers are busy attempting to explain away his crimes using America's own crimes, Chucky did the most Chucky thing possible and went on a long rant, defending himself by defending U.S. Marines who were charged with executing POWs in Iraq. Again, this is to excuse what he had done. Somehow. Yeah, it's, it's using that two things cannot be bad at once. Defense. And he was also operating under the idea that those Marines would not be prosecuted, and they were. So, like, yeah. But it's also like it's interesting how like legality has changed so much in the intervening years that like if that had happened, if he had been in court now, they would have used his music as well as evidence. Yeah, probably, or all of the pictures and documents. And I mean, like, he was an official government employee. Now, as you can imagine, things are not going great for Chucky in federal court. The federal prosecutor asked for 147 years in prison. His lawyer, in his defense, said, hey, whoa, 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 he's not being charged with murdering anybody. Let's say 7 to 20 years, which is true. He was not being uh, charged with murdering anybody. They couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, But in the indictment, they pretty much accepted that he killed at least seven people personally on top of ordering the deaths of what could conservatively hundreds of people. Um, but they just lacked the evidence to prove it. So on October 30th, 2008, he was found guilty by a federal jury after a six-week trial on five counts of torture, one count of conspiracy to torture, one count of using a firearm during the commission of a violent crime, that violent crime being torture, and one count of conspiracy to use a firearm in the commission of a violent crime, that crime also being torture. He was sentenced to 97 years in prison under the name Roy Belfast Jr., at which point he was sent to United States Penitentiary Lee, a high-security prison in Virginia, and at this time of recording, he is still there and still insists he never did anything wrong. At the same time Chucky was being brought up on charges, so was his dad, Charles Taylor. Though his trial would go on for much longer because, you know, international criminal court trial, and it would come to a close in 2012, making him the first head of state to be prosecuted by the international court since Karl Donitz of Nazi Germany. Somehow, Taylor got less time in prison than his son. Uh, he was only sentenced to 50 years to, you know, Chucky's 97 like his son, however, he is effectively a life prisoner because Charles Taylor is in his 60s and will die in prison. And re- Nate, remember how I said uh, Charles Taylor is closer to you guys than you'd think? Yeah. He is serving his life sentence, uh, pretty much a life sentence, in His Majesty's Prison Franklin in County Durham, England. All right. There you have it. <laughs> Another reason to not go to Durham. You know, you know who else is? Uh, you know who else is in Franklin Prison? No. Th- Thomas Mayer, the man who murdered Joe Cox. Right? Yeah. Oh, that would be the worst collab ever. Like, I'm sorry. Like, all the horrible politics in Britain, first notwithstanding. Like, I just even look at Thomas Mayer and know that that man can never find the beat. It just will not happen. 
Charles Taylor's just writing letters to J.K. Rowling and, <laughs> and is insanely transphobic now. He's, he, saw the, he saw the Victor Boot thing with Russia and he's like, I just have to be anti-trans enough that maybe the Brits will let me out. They'll trade me back for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he signed that, uh, that uh, le- open letter that came out the other day. <laughs> Oh yeah! So, oh God! This so did so, this- the, so did the guy who wrote uh, the Irish author who wrote uh, "Boy in the Striped Pajamas." A, oh, uh, John Boyne! A, a book so bad, the Auschwitz Birkenau Memorial Museum had to at- tell people to avoid it. Yeah, it's like, what if the Holocaust was twee? It's like, great. And, uh, it, I mean, I'm not going to go soup. Maybe we could do it as a bonus episode one day, but like, it's it's real bad for various reasons. Yeah, it borders on Holocaust denial. Yeah, so it's, it's terrible. Charles Taylor spends his time filing lawsuits against Liberian government for failing to pay him his pension as former president. <laughs> I really, really hope that someday I can fucking pull this off, but it depends on whether or not this guy in Liberia checks Facebook messages. But I've told the story before that I went to infantry school with an exchange student from the Liberian army who was a second lieutenant who had been a child soldier in the first Liberian civil war. But because of, well, as you can imagine, things in a country like that, he, as I most recent check was the chief of staff of the Liberian Armed Forces. So when I was a, still a junior captain, he was a four-star general in Liberia. So if he if if Dan ever checks his Facebook messages, maybe I can get him on the show. I will try. I will fucking try. Okay. Um at the time of this podcast, Charles Taylor's ex-wife Jewel Taylor is the vice president of Liberia. During this time, she attempted to get a bill passed that made being gay punishable by death. This bill was blocked by then-president Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, the woman that Taylor beat in the original election that started this entire fucking story in the first place. The end. <laughs> <sighs> this is one of those things where it's like, you really have to kind of prepare yourself for the sort of sine wave experience of high highs and low lows. Like, funny in some parts and that just so lines, fucking That is your macabre. lion sled by donkey's guarantee. Yes. Yes, honestly, this is like the, the just the quintessential episode in so many ways. And one one day we'll absolutely revisit the Liberians of War on a, on a deep series. Um, so we did that for a single episode years ago. It is in our bad era of shows that I'm slowly thinking about redoing. Um, I think that episode Nick and I actually recorded into a single mic as well. Yeah, like it, it's all it, it, it was some yeah. audio crimes, but you guys, the content was good. But yeah, I was just thinking about this as a closing thought. Like, I recently a bunch of people were laughing because they didn't know this. But if you were, you know, in, in high school or college age and listened to indie music in the early two thousands, you've heard of Broken Social Scene, the Canadian indie band that were like the fucking like every cool kid's fucking favorite band. Yeah, but that's the one you band not, you guys have brought up that I've actually fucking heard of. But what you may not know is that one of the guys in Broken Social Scene, one of the founding members of Broken so- Social Scene, was also in the band Len and helped write Steal My Sunshine. <laughs> oh, all right. that that because, is weird because canada has like 10 musicians i mean it, canada's got a ton of great bands actually i love canadian music but i will say this is very funny it's just like that's what this is like except then if both if, if, if both bands went on to commit like a mass killing that's what this show is like to is be it, fair yeah, there's well, still time <laughs> well i mean you could say that len len committed a mass killing in putting any of any of the other songs on you can't stop the bum rush one of the worst albums i've ever heard in my life it just happens to have steal my sunshine on it this is the first time we've ever compared horrific war crimes to canadian pop music um (laughs) don't worry i won't stop there fucking moxie fruvius what's wrong with you guys in canada that beyond the fact that john gameshi is now a fucking weird sex pest it sucked it was terrible 
Anyway, once again, not, you're, you're you're speaking bad this. names to me that might as well be in French. Right. Basically, all I'm saying is just we'll, we'll, we can talk. Maybe maybe we can do lines led by donkeys where we do we met, we do like historical fact and then Canadian music fact. That would be my favorite episode ever. But I know we've gone long, so I will I will stop talking. Now, fellas, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can donate to the show a single dollar on Patreon. Ask us through a Patreon DM or through our Discord. Or you can write it in a rap lyric and send it to Tom, and uh, we will ask it on air. Today's question is, uh, what is your least favorite regional cuisine of where you're from? I'm assuming this can mean where we're actually, we all live in different places from where we were born now. So I'm going to add an addendum. You can make it something where you live or where you're from. Oh, I I have an Irish one. Coddle. What's like boiled? You say boiled Mickey soup? Coddle, so C O D D L E. It's like okay. First, what is Mickey soup? Yeah, what is, is this Mickey, Mickey, so it's, Mickey Mouse reduced into a sauce? No, so it's like a clarified broth that has like stuff like cabbage and carrots and like other veg in it, but it has boiled sausages in it, so they look like flaccid cocks. So is it a taste thing, or you just don't want to eat boiled uh, like, sausage? I don't know. Like it's just like looking at it just gives me a visceral reaction it's just like floating pinkish sausages in a clear broth with loads of like veg in it i'm sure it's fine i think a clear broth is just water (laughs) (laughs) i made some pork bone broth the other night when i was making a i made it was braised no it was pork ribs so i d i took all the meat off the pork ribs had some marinated chicken then made a bone broth out of the pork bones and then used that broth to boil my rice. That sounds good. That sounds, that sounds really much better than whatever the fuck you just talked about. Yeah, and, but I will and say Mickey that if you, uh, if, yeah, if you skim the broth and get all the foam and shit out as it go, then I think that pork bone can be, it can be pretty clear. Not like completely fucking like water, but yeah, it won't be, it certainly isn't going to look like like roasted beef bone broth. But yeah, um, fuck man, for me, you know, it, this is. I'm interested in yours, Joe, because we're both from the Midwest. But um, I would say, honestly, it's kind of a, of a quotidian one. But coleslaw, and the reason I say it is that no one makes good coleslaw. It always tastes like shit. The best you can hope for at a barbecue or picnic, a fucking potluck, is that someone bought a container of coleslaw from like Sam's Club or Costco because then it at least tastes like coleslaw that you get in restaurants. Coleslaw can be really good, but like as a Midwest no, side coles- dish, coleslaw is disgusting. I'm sorry, coleslaw no, is disgusting. It's, it's an abomination. You're fired like again. No. You're fired again. <laughs> but, but but fucking, I don't know, Joe. Maybe your experience varies, but in my experience, every time someone makes coleslaw, it's bad. It's always bad. I will say Midwest like, coleslaw does suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the South, they tend to use more mayonnaise and sometimes like vinegar. Like it's just it's just a little more flavorful. And also like a lot of Midwest fucking Indiana, et cetera, general general region people's like homemade food casseroles are just bland as hell. Yeah. I'd say that. Like the blandness is what really gets me. And once again, Britain is big Indiana because that's my complaint with the place I moved to. It's because like, the Midwest is is when it comes to food culture, a post-Soviet state. <laughs> but like we were on, we were on the train yesterday coming back, like I said earlier in the episode. And it was funny because like I got train food on the SNCF train on the TGV and it was really good. And then I got like a thing of like not or not not dal, like uh, like like curried lentils. And it was good on the on the Eurostar, except it just like didn't have any salt in it because it was made for British people. Like they they hate salt. Uh, that's so it's just bland food, I guess. But yeah, I would say coleslaw is my answer. So I'm interested in yours, Joe, as a as a guy my, from one state north of me. My answer is going to piss off everyone who is from Michigan. Um, so a big Michigan culinary thing is Coney dogs. 
Um, it, now, for people who are unaware of that is, I don't expect you to know what it is. It is a hot dog with shit on top of it. It's you know has it's it's it has chili. That doesn't sound appetizing. Well, I mean, it, why would it, you want to eat it's, shit? It's it's fine. Like there's like you know shitty chili on it. Like it comes from a can, onions, whatever. But it's literally just the cheapest fucking hot dog on earth. It's like saying, "Oh man, you know what I really miss about back home?" And you just say like Taco Bell. Like it's yeah. It's just a hot dog, and the stuff they put on top of it isn't even good. It's it, like Wolf brand chili from a can or some shit. Uh, the only upside of it is you go to a, a diner that serves them, also called a Coney, like, and they're a dollar or two dollars or something. But as a food, it sucks. It's not good. We shouldn't be proud of that. We made poor guy hot dogs. I thought we got rid of this in 2012. <laughs> it's it's not good. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that if like you go to one of these late night diners and you're drunk or whatever, you can fuck up some conies and you feel better about it. Sure. But you can do that literally with anything. You go through a drive through and like, I don't know, get McDonald's. It's having the same effect. It's greasy, like awfulness that makes you feel better in the moment and makes you paint the toilet like you have dysentery the next morning. Like that, that is the concept of a, of a coney dog. So that, uh, that is my answer because it's, it's just a hot dog, guys. <laughs> it's just a hot dog with canned chili on it. We shouldn't be proud of this. Um, and uh, that is our episode. Gentlemen, plug your shows. Listen to Trash Future. Listen to What a Hell of a Way to Die. Listen to Kill James Bond. Get on the Patreon of, uh, of this show. Great content out there. $5 a month. Uh, listen to everything Nate just said, because I work on most of it. Uh, listen to Beneath the Skin, show about the history of everything told you, the history of tattooing. Even if you don't like tattoos or have tattoos, it's a fun history show, kind of like the way this show is meant to be about military history, but it's about everything else other than military history. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you like what we do here, consider supporting the show on Patreon. For $5 a month, you can get everything. Five years of bonus content, Discord access. Um, I'm working on the audiobook for Hooligans of Kandahar, which will only be available on Patreon. Um, what else? We have premium series, but like the history of Armenian Sharp Show. Consider checking out my books, of which there are a lot of uh, wherever it is that you get books and until next time just just stay playing dungeons and dragons <laughs> <laughs>